My name is Paul Hoppy. I used to be a podcast host until. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Paul, welcome back. This is Matthew, the host of Superhero Ethics. Paul was our original co-host and is back with me today to discuss burn notice and ethical espionage. We're talking about what makes an ethical spy, brute force versus brute mental power. All this and more after an ad we have no control over. Welcome back to Superhero Ethics. This is Matthew, your host. And as I mentioned, I'm joined again today by Paul Hoppy, who was the original co-host and has continued to be a friend and supporter of the cast. Paul, how are we doing today? Doing pretty good. As Great. well as can be, yeah. Okay. Yeah. With, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, life. The world's dying, everything's a problem, but you know, we're, we're getting to talk about great TV shows. So. Exactly. Um, well, and as uh, Burn Notice fans will know from Paul's intro, today we were talking primarily about the TV show Burn Notice, but <clears throat> we're going to put it into a larger topic of uh, what I'm calling ethical espionage. Now, granted, this is a little bit outside of the sci-fi um, uh, comic book um, field we often talk about. But I think that there's a lot of things about spy movies and espionage and things like that that definitely can fit in that, – that, that share, uh, share a Venn diagram in a lot of ways, both with um, a lot of superhero stuff but also with some science fiction stuff in some instances. Um, and so I thought it was a good thing for us to talk about. And I know, Paul, this was one that um, I think you had originally suggested. What for you makes this topic so interesting, the idea of the ethics of espionage and the different way we see it in movies and TV shows? Well, I mean, so first of all, the term ethical espionage sounds like it could be a bit of an oxymoron, right? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of the point. Um, Right. But, uh, you know, we can see that in in fiction, you know, espionage and spies, like more specifically, are are portrayed in, in varying ways from, you know, the sort of at this point, it seems like the sort of traditional like James Bond kind of type uh to the you know the more modern um i'd say like michael weston is is very different from james bond and similarly like jason bourne i think took spy spy action movies in a very different direction than than bond movies are um and you know the choices that the characters make the way they go about achieving their aims i think sort of says a lot about you know, the viewpoint of the creators of the show and, and also, um, you know, which ones you enjoy. I think th- there, there's probably certain certain reasons that um, different spies are appealing to different people and that might have to do with their methodology. I think that's a good point. I think especially because um, when I think of a spy, one of the things that I think of is, is you know, secrecy and sneaking around and that it often involves making ethical choices that are that, that there's very much an ends justifying the means kind of idea often or at least the idea that like you know doing something that under different circumstances might not be the greatest is justified because you know of the larger good and so assassinating someone who's going to cause a huge problem or you know lying and betraying to someone who you become friends with but because you need them to to get inside the secret boss's hideout or whatever it is right. um and so I think there's there's a lot of room there for us to, to discuss. Um, I, I also think this is a very interesting time to be discussing this because, at least as I see it, I'm wondering if you feel the same, it feels like the cultural understanding of a lot of things has, of these has changed. Um, we talked about Bond, which was not the only one, but I think for quite some time, Bond was the 
you know, spy on television and movies. Um, and there's a lot of things that he did that, you know, when it was Sean Connery doing it in the 60s and 70s in terms of, you know, being a womanizer and being drunk half the time and not really caring who he he hurt or what he did because he always, you know, saved the day and looked suave and debonair while he did it. It was wonderful. And then now when Daniel Craig is playing the part, we're looking at Bond not as a, you know, heroic guy who everyone wants to be with or wants to, to, to be, but instead is kind of a sociopath who is maybe needed but but to be terrified of. Um, what, what do you think of that kind of shift and how, how does that play into this discussion we're having? Yeah, I mean, I'd co-sign most of that, except I'd just uh, proofread out um, kind of like Bond's yeah. <laughs> like a total sociopath. Um, I I mean, so I think like early on, the Bond's character was supposed to be sort of audacious, right? Um, right. But in a way that was supposed to be sort of enviable, I think, by right. or, or was envied by the, the general, general populace, or at least the audience for those films and, and for those books. Um, but you know, I, I mean, I watched when the Daniel Craig movies started coming out, like I watched the first one and I was like, okay, this is a pretty good action movie. I watched the second one and I was like, this is a pretty bad action movie. And then I watched Skyfall and great title sequence, but like, <laughs> <laughs> it felt like the first one that kind of maybe knew who Bond was, but yeah. halfway through the movie, I was like, oh, I don't like this guy. Like, I don't, I don't really want to watch a movie where he's the main character. Like he's horrible. (laughs) He's just a horrible person. And like, you know, I don't even think whatever his ends are are necessarily like he's an agent for the British government. Right. He's not. Oh, very much so. Yeah. You know, so it, the whole concept is based under the assumption, like that the government spy organization is like doing good things, which like, you know, I'd say my understanding of the world is that that should not be a default assumption. Yeah. Um, I mean, my understanding has always been, um, and I've only read a little bit of the Ian Fleming novels, but that, um, you know, they were written from a very patriotic British perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it's in part because of what I was saying about the, like, the delicacy there. Um, I was reading a review of some of his early novels, and it I'm trying to th- remember the exact wording, but it, it basically was making the point of, like, you know, the British – use a scalpel while the Americans use a howitzer, you know, right. that, 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 that bond was supposed to represent that instead of using like blunt, brute, crude force of numbers, the way the Americans might, that the British can do things elegantly and delicately and, 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 you know, just like the little cut of a scalpel, yeah. um, which I can totally get which... in like 1950s. Why it was incredibly appealing to the right. British public and, and to yeah. Americans. But yeah, it's, it, in today's world. It, 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 it definitely seems like a shift. And I think that's why I'm really interested in, you know, both Bourne and um, Michael Weston and Burn Notice, and one we haven't um, touched on, and I it might require a different episode, but I think it's also part of this conversation, and certainly here is where um, superhero and uh, um, sci-fi yeah. mix with espionage, but it's Chuck. Because um, yeah. in Chuck, Burn Notice, and Bourne, all of it is primarily about the idea of the spy coming to realize that maybe the government agency giving them orders isn't always right, and, and what do you right. do with that, and how do you is it your job to question your orders or just to go ahead with, you know, well, my, my handler says to go kill this person. It's not my job to ask why they should be killed. I should just go kill them. Right. Um, yeah. And I mean, just 
to uh, double back on what you were saying a moment ago about, you know, the sort of like the scalpel versus the hammer. It, it's interesting to me that Bourne and Weston are both, you know, they're American, I guess, former agents. Um, you know, spoiler alert. <laughs> Bourne, uh, uh, you know, uh, Michael gets burned. <laughs> That's the premise of the show. Yeah. But, um, you know, and I think they're both like much, they use intelligence much more um, than than Bond does um, right. compared to the brute force, right? Um, but uh, yeah, I mean the idea of you know questioning orders versus not questioning orders versus just you know following orders. Like, are you a soldier or are you you know? I mean, not that a soldier shouldn't necessarily question orders either. Like, if they're given orders that are unconscionable at, at some point, you know, it's it's their duty even to be like. Mm, no, that's not, you know, that's right. not something that my committing officer should be, you know, that's not within their realm of, of things that they can have me do, like go around killing civilians, for instance. Right. Um, and so a spy, the, I mean, the thing about spy material that's that's so interesting when it comes to like following orders or disobeying orders is that there's always this question of loyalty, Right. Yeah. And there's the question of the spies loyalty. Like, are they is disobeying an order a disloyal act because you're not following the order of your direct superior or as a spy who knows that your direct superior maybe could be a spy for the other side or just for some other totally separate interest? Should you always be questioning them? Because and then you're actually more loyal to whatever the, the sort of the top of the chain is, because maybe maybe. The, the people above you giving the orders are actually the ones who are betraying, you know, your country, your organization, your, right. what your principles. Right. And, and I think that's sort of where the, it comes down to like, is the agency there just to basically protect the government of, of a given country, or is it to protect the people of a given country or is it to protect the principles of a given country? And any one of those things you can kind of choose what right. how you want to see it um but those would all result in very different loyalties and influence like how much you would obey or how much you would question orders i i think it's a really good point especially because and i i brought this up when you and i were talking beforehand and i think i think the more we talk the more i think we should do a whole episode just on the born legacy the born series because so. yeah. it's mostly going to be about michael weston but it I, the, the first I, three it, movies the third fourth one didn't happen yeah, anyway. no, nothing with J Jeremy Rammer. Um, but, but, um, because one thing I'm, I, I was asking, like, do the people who are going after Jason Bourne deserve to die? You know, uh, right. and and it, even just not putting it in that specific movie's context, the same thing happens in a number of these things. You have a situation where, um, our person has realized that the organization they used to work for is corrupt and evil and wrong, mm -hmm. but that most of its members don't know that. Right. Just like. Our hero didn't know that. Yeah. So now it, it raises this question of like, so what is the moral value of the people who are basically where our hero was last week, you know, and just don't know what our hero now knows? They're definitely the antagonists. They're in our hero's way and they're trying to kill him. And so maybe they have to be killed in self-defense. But it raises an interesting question of like, I'm not – to me, that's a, that character isn't evil in a way that – you know, maybe the the head of the directory who knows what's happening is evil, or or something like that. It just it, it we actually did an episode about this a, a couple of weeks ago about you know what happens when the the antagonist doesn't know that they're evil, um, right? 
But I think it's spy movies, I think, especially bring this up because you often have a character who is working outside the law, often against their own government or against their own program. And now you sort of wonder, like, well, the people who've been told that Jason Bourne or Michael Weston or any of these people are threats to national security, is it their fault for believing it? Right. I mean, it, it's not really right. I mean, it's maybe it's their fault for not questioning it or not right. investigating it at all. Um, but I mean, it's sort of like in in the Matrix. Uh, I think Morpheus says something like anyone still plugged into the Matrix is part of the system. Right. And they're right. basically at war with that system. But those people are actually people who have just been hooked up and brainwashed. Right. Yeah. Which is a very literal way of expressing something that happens in reality in a more figurative way all the time right right um the people who are part of the system are part of what's wrong but they're not the cause of what's wrong right yeah. it's like i can be extremely anti-war and anti-military but not anti-soldier because the soldiers are basically just people who got a job because like they needed a job and they were told like, this is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. This is the right thing to do. And, you know, with some convincing brainwashing that some people believe and some people don't. And so, and so like they are just, they're plugged into the system and you can't just be like, Oh, Hey, by the way, everything you know is wrong. Like, just let me, uh, let, just let me go down this hallway and, uh, you know, just turn off that camera there. Like, <laughs> but, but so I think there is definitely, you know, there's always, there are always choices between, you know, is the protagonist going to basically say like, well, I'm going to completely have, no, give those people's lives no value and I'm just going to kill them if it suits me. Or do I understand that they're part of a system and they're, they're victims of that system as well, but they're still functioning pieces of it. Right. And so I need to find a way to kind of circumvent, you know, to kind of work around them. And, um, yeah. you know, sometimes fiction gives us easy answers and easy choices, but it, in reality, and also, you know, some in complex fiction, sometimes it's like, well, yeah, you want to take the other way. You want to find the workaround, but like, it doesn't always go well. It doesn't always work. And maybe yeah. there isn't always that option. Like in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, which is not quite a spy show, but but is, you know, in the same universe, uh, though much more superhero-y. But in that world, <clears throat> where, again, our heroes are often dealing with people who are antagonists, but not really bad guys, they invented a stun gun. Right. Which I've always just thought is like the ultimate, like, you know, fictional escape from this issue. Yeah, because yeah. now you have a way to prevent a person from stopping your plan without actually doing long-term harm to them. Um, yeah. And it's both kind of brilliant that they do that, but it's also like, now you've avoided the actual interesting issue here. Um, right. And what, it's it's a way that they do that, right? I mean, in Chuck also, they have like a dart gun or whatever. And it's yeah. a way for the writers to be like, we don't want our characters to go around killing people, but we also don't want to make things so complicated and actually delve into the real difficult issues of like, what if you can't get this done without killing someone? Like, right. what if you can't just, like, put someone to sleep? And I will say one thing I quite like about the TV show Chalk is that, yes, they use the dart gun, but its existence is actually a real question. And that it, it if I remember correctly, early on in the show, there are instances where um, the people Chuck is working with are planning to use deadly force. Mm. And he actually, like, makes this exact point and convinces them to use the dart guns instead. Right. Um, yeah. So at least I appreciate that show, like, oh, for sure, acknowledges why it's an issue in the way that, like, some other things don't. Yeah. Um, one last thing I want to say on the orders, and then let's talk about each of these specific things uh, in specific before we really dive into Weston himself. Um, 
just on the thing of following orders, one thing I was realizing is Bond actually breaks orders just as much as some of the others. Mm. It's just that often he breaks the orders to be more extreme. <laughs> right, um, right, right. That a lot of times the government is saying, like, can you just investigate and, like, check this out? But, of course, we're kind of going to be, you know, bureaucratic and slow. Yeah. And Bond will just be like, nope, I realize there's evil here. Let's just kill everybody. Um, right, right, right. <laughs> um, and so let's use that. So let, let's actually uh, – we wanted to kind of talk about the, the different approaches that, that spies can use. Um, Bond, I'm guessing, is the one we're kind of most critical on. But let's go into exactly why. Um, what what are your problems with the kind of uh, the Bond approach to, to espionage? Um. I mean, first of all, like, he kills a lot of people. Like, yeah. you know, the term, like, license to kill um, as, like, a badge of, like, hey, look how cool I am. I can just go around killing people uh, whenever I want. It's, like, maybe not so cool. Yeah. Um, also, you know, the womanizing and uh, and just the, the – just not valuing the lives of – yeah. Um, you know, women in particular, but also more generally just people in the surrounding area, you know, um, no I, concern I mean, for like collateral damage, basically. I can understand the idea of like, you know, seduction as a way to gain information from a possible antagonist. Like that's something that happens in the, or, you know, the KGB had what they refer right. to as the honey trap school. And I know the CIA yeah. did the same thing. But in the Bond world, I'm sure this is true in the real world in some ways as well. If you are a woman involved with the organization that Bond is going against, and you decide mm -hmm. to sleep with Bond, your life expectancy has now gone down quite significantly. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. It's like, what's the runtime of the movie? You yeah. know, that's like the... Because you're right. It's the... It's, it's, it, it's not just that Bond kills people, but it's that Bond winds up creating situations where in order to get the information he wants, as well as to get laid, often, unfortunately, but but even, even you say that he doesn't want that, he just wants the information... He doesn't kill a person, but he creates a situation where that person's life is now in incredible danger. Yeah. And as you said, often, like, in some movies, this isn't always true, but it seems like in a lot of movies, the trope is he seduces a woman early on, doesn't think that she's going to be in any danger because of it. Right. Turns out he's wrong. The bad guy kills her. So he's like, oh, oops, I, that was terrible. Now I definitely have to get revenge. Along the way, seduces a second girl actually falls for her and then now her life actually has value to him. Right. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And, and part of that's the writing, but I think it also just goes to the idea of, you know, he uses people and he doesn't see what's the harm that he doesn't, he, cause I, I, I definitely think like, I will say, I definitely think there's a difference morally between putting a bullet in someone's head versus creating a situation where someone else can put a bullet in their head. Um, mm. But, and we'll get about, we'll talk about this a lot with burn notice. Cause something Weston does a lot too. Yeah. You definitely, I think, still have some responsibility when you create a situation where someone else is going to put a bullet in their head. And I feel like Bond just never does that with the the sources he uses, but especially the women he seduces. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and he just he just doesn't have any sense of responsibility for like the fallout from his actions. Right. You know, I mean, but I mean, when somebody already is like, yeah, I'll just kill whoever is it's kind of convenient to me. I mean, there's a difference though. It's like he mostly kills people who he thinks are bad or part of some bad thing, but right. then, you know, he lets other people get killed who he maybe doesn't think directly are as bad, but like he just doesn't value their lives either. And I mean, it's kind of interesting also that like it's often the women in the other organizations that like he doesn't kill himself. 
So yeah. like he so like maybe the audience doesn't see him as like going around killing a bunch of women, but like he's creating the circumstances that lead to their deaths, which is different, but it's like if you do it in a serial fashion, like is it really different at the end of the day? I mean, is it really fine? Like yeah. I would argue no. It's definitely not fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I think we're pretty agreed there. And I I would just say that I'm and granted I like movies about terrible people a lot more than you do. Yeah, yeah. I love the Daniel Craig movies, although I I love the perspective on Bond. Skyfall has okay. some major writing problems. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but because I the thing I to me in those movies the character becomes much more interesting is Judy Dench, the M oh, character, yeah. because yeah. to me the idea of we have this psychopath who's completely off the reservation. Mm-hmm. But sometimes we have a mission where if we send in someone who does have a conscience, they won't be able to carry out the mission we need to yeah. do. Like, yeah. that's to me an interesting ethical question. Um, but you're yeah, right. It's not we, Daniel we have, Craig as a hero by any means. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, we have a useful psychopath, basically, and how are we going to go about basically using him, right? right. And, I mean, that is the whole premise of that movie with the backstory for the other character and yada, yada, yada. Um, and I can appreciate that as a um, – sort of as a story construct. And that's why I was saying it felt like the first movies where they where the the writers understood who Bond actually is. Yeah. As opposed to like, we're just like, oh yeah, this is fine. Why shouldn't a guy go around doing this? You know? Um I, I will say some of my favorite Bond movies I think are the most ridiculous and they're the Pierce Brosnan movies. Mm. Because they oh, feel yeah. like a transition point. Pierce Brosnan yeah. is like we're not quite willing to say he's a terrible person, but we're just gonna mm-hmm. say he's a ridiculous person and we should laugh at him. Instead right. of being like, how great is it that he's so seductive and all that? Yeah, um, yeah. So let's let's um, <clears throat> I think the second kind of school of espionage and, and ethical uh stuff that you you talked about was uh, Jason Bourne. Um, right. And I said we'll get more into him, but what what's your understanding of the kind of Bourne style of espionage? So I mean, his style is basically kind of like dominate his opponents or his opposition through intelligence, skill, and strategy. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's he's usually outthinking people from from a distance, and and by a distance, I don't just mean like being physically far away because sometimes he's very close. But like he, the scene in the in the first movie in the Born Identity where he just grabs the map off the wall, to me, um, that sort of like epitomizes uh, what I love about the character because. It seems like such an obvious thing to do, but, like, I've never seen that in a movie before. And, like, you know, if there were a bunch of people trying to kill or arrest me, like, I don't think I'd be like, oh, yeah, let me grab this map off the wall, and then I'm going to grab this radio <laughs> off this guy. And, like, now I'll know where they are, and I can just look at the fire, you know, the fire escape map, basically, and and know how to go this way or that way or whatever. Um, and, you know, so in that case, he's... I mean, the Bourne identity mostly is, like, about him running away from people, right? Right. Um, And, you know, so it's this extended chase movie, but he's not – it's – there are aspects of physicality, right? Like, being a great driver or being being, uh, very good at hand-to-hand combat and stuff like that. But even in the hand-to-hand combat – you know, you have things where, like, the way he approaches the fights are are using – he's using the things around him. He's right. using intelligence, not just brute force. And when he's driving, he's like, you know, how – do you take care of your car? Like, you know, it felt a little splashy. And she's like, well, it pulls a little up. He's like, okay. Um, 
And so, like, he wants to know about the vehicle he's about to get in a chase with. Yeah. Like, as opposed to just like, okay, let's go, you know? Um, he seems the epitome of the, the fight smart fight smart instead of fight hard kind of exactly, idea. Exactly. And I, I think you at one point we were discussing this said that, that for you, he's more of a secret agent than a spy. Which I think is a really yes. interesting point. Like, he's not... He's espionage yes. in that he's trained to kind of do, like, covert missions. Yeah. But he's not the kind of, like... To me, he's somewhat different from, like, a Chuck or or even a Michael Weston in that he's not as much, you know, you tell him the target, he goes and takes care of the target. Right. He's not as much on the gather information, figure things out. I mean, I, he, he, I'm sure he becomes well, that in later times, but I think that, that the born trope is much more of the secret agent as ridiculously talented, you know, hand-to-hand fighter and, and the person who can create the situation where he'll always win the fight and he'll always get away. Right. And I mean, I think the character was created and by the character, I mean, the character within the movie, like was created by, you know, the government, by the program in order to eliminate people that they needed to not exist, but also needed to not be connected with the end of their existence. So, you know, it's like we didn't create you to kill born. We created you because you don't exist. Right. Like. Right. um, And. And so, like, he would do, I think, like, espionage, but, like, on a specific target with the sole, you know, goal of basically eliminating them and doing it in some way that would not arouse suspicion that they'd been, like, bumped off by the CIA, basically. Um, And, you know, and he wasn't going around gathering intelligence on this or that or whatever was going on. Um, But then for the entire movies, basically, he's no longer an agent, right? I mean, he's a retired agent, essentially, um, that they're trying to retire more aggressively. (laughs) With extreme prejudice. (laughs) With extreme prejudice, yeah. Um, And and so that whole, like, operating... I mean, personally, I find that whole, like, operating outside of the system to be a lot more interesting. Um, And also, you know, it's under the premise, like, look, you know the CIA is not going around doing good things all the time. Like we don't know everything the CIA has done. And it's certainly possible that some of the things they've done have been like beneficial to the collective of humanity. I don't know, but there's just a lot of things that we do know that they've done that have been horrible that like, you know, the, the U S government should not been involved in, in doing. Um, and, you know, Bourne owns that. It's like, it's like, yeah, this, you know, the the government that particularly the shadowy organizations like do a bunch of things that are horrible throughout the world. And this is kind of blowback from that, basically. Um, right. It's, it's kind of a, uh, I think, um, I don't want to caution us to not go too deep in Bourne, because, sure, but there's so yeah. much interesting to say there. But yeah. I will just say, um, again, before we were talking, you made a point of an agency. And I think that's a really interesting point mm-hmm. of like, it's something we talk about on the show a lot, like who has the agency to make ethical decisions. And I think there's a really interesting idea of, you know, you were talking about what what's the moral agency you put on a soldier who's ordered to do a terrible thing. Right. And it was someone like Bourne. Um, uh, and I think actually this is a trope that we see a lot. Um, I just did a rewatch on the Bingers Assemble podcast about the TV show Altered Carbon, um, which you haven't mm-hmm. seen, have you? I have not. Okay. I won't spoil anything. I'll just say that, like, a lot of what that show is about is about, um, you know, a person who is recruited for that kind of work who then decides to go against it. But a lot of it's also about, like, mm-hmm. how is he recruited and how manipulative was the, you know, how much right. agency did he have in a very yeah. kind of broken situation. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, I think definitely we will uh, have our Jason Bourne episode to be sure. But um, having set the context with all that, how does that then compare for you with someone like a, a Michael Weston, a Burn Notice? What made you really want to kind of focus on Burn Notice? Because um, I think you're right that that show represents a different kind of espionage from any of the other ones we've talked about so far. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think so. First, I would contrast and compare like Weston to Bourne. Um, they let, have a very let just, similar. Let me, yeah, let me ahead. quickly interrupt actually and say for anyone who hasn't seen Burn Notice, um, first mm. of all, it is a fantastic show, and since we're probably not going to get much new content pretty <laughs> in the next couple of months, <laughs> I would definitely involve advise a, a, re, a watch or a rewatch of it. Yeah. It's on um, Hulu. We'll probably be spoiling some ideas in this, but hopefully not too many like major things. We'll, spo- we'll spoil yeah. a lot, <laughs> but you hopefully can still enjoy it. But the basic concept of it is someone who was a CIA spy. Um, and I think combined, like was very much a very good fighter, but also very much intelligence gathering and and knowing your enemy and that kind of thing. He gets what's called burned, which means the CIA is given information that he is a, a bad agent, and so he's cut off from the agency. And then he spends most of the rest of the show both doing like you know the episodic mission of trying to help somebody, um, while also trying in some way or another to get his old job back to get to find out why he was burned, to get unburned, some variation of that. Um, so, yeah, with, having set that context, uh, go ahead. So, so yeah, um, I mean, he, he uses a lot of the same sort of – he's very tactical. Um, he, he fights smart, not hard, right? I mean, he's skilled at hand-to-hand combat, but when he does get into physical altercations, um, that's usually like – a last resort most of the time and in those cases he's still like you know he's like if you're in a fight you know you want to have hard things around you that you can hit some you know a bathroom's a good place and he like smashes someone's head into like a urinal or a sink or something (laughs) um and that's in like the first 10 minutes of the pilot so not too much spoiler there but um you know he the the big difference i think between him and born in terms of like what they do strategically or tactically. Um, he does a lot of social engineering. Yeah. Like he's just constantly, he's, he's often playing characters. Like, I feel like it was probably a really fun role for Jeffrey Donovan. Cause like every episode he gets to play a different character in addition yeah. to Michael, right? Michael's always playing some other character. I, I mean, let me um, just say if nothing else, his accents are phenomenal as an actor. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. but yeah, he, he portrays so many different roles and, and um, just for any, uh, what we mean, I think, there by social engineering is, he, like, he's very interested in analyzing systems. And so, mm-hmm. like, if there's a gang that's, like, harming a neighborhood and, like, someone from the neighborhood has asked him to come, like, help get this gang out, he'll be very interested in figuring out what are the internal politics of that gang. And yeah. can he turn, like, one part of the gang against the other in a way that will destabilize the whole thing so that the whole structure comes apart or that one rogue element is removed. Like, he's and, – and it's – I feel like his skills are like, you know, he, if you were building him as a D and D character, he has, um, you know, very strong. They don't even have a stat for that, but go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I was going to say, it's actually not a stat. It's not like he basically has PhD level sociology, you know, like right. he just understands psychology, but also social systems in amazing yeah. ways. And it's, it's fun to watch him do that because it's now not, it, it's kind of taking the born idea of fighting smart, but now it's, it's not fight smart against a person. It's fight smart against an organization. Yeah. I mean, I, I was, I was going to say like, he's not a D and D character. He's a white wolf character. Yeah. That's also like, very true. He, 
<laughs> he's got manipulation five or six, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> subterfuge. Like, uh, he really does look at sort of like the power dynamics and, and how how an organization works. Because a lot of the times it's not just like there's this one bad, per, bad person doing something bad and he's trying to stop them from doing that bad thing. It's like there's a group and either the group is doing something bad or someone within the group is doing something or instead of bad, maybe something he doesn't want them to do, right? I mean, right. sometimes it's an organization that's doing tons of bad things or tons of things that like – you know, society at large would want them not to do like a, a criminal organization, whether it's, a, you know, um, yeah. But within that, there's maybe one person or the group is doing one thing he wants to get them to stop doing. And then he'll find a way to basically turn most of the group on part of the group or yeah. on, on that person that he wants to kind of target to get them to stop doing the thing. And so he, he basically, he often gets like, people who are sort of his enemies, but not like directly his enemies, but sort of like quote unquote, like bad guys to do a lot of his work for him by kind of turning them against whoever it is who's doing the thing he really doesn't want them to keep doing. Right. And, and like one thing I think is interesting in this is that he often will do it in a way that is not challenging the overall bad structure. Like um, right. there's one particular episode that, that really sticks out for me about this and it's um, fantastic acting on his part as well, where they're they're going up against a group of um, basically like uh, you know uh, sex predator uh, uh, women uh, tra- uh what the hell the word I'm looking sex for sex traffickers yeah se- human traffickers yeah he he's going up against uh, human traffickers for prostitutes you know the, this group right. who's bringing in um, women from Russia and Eastern Europe who have no idea what they're getting into for for sexual slavery um, and what he does is he realizes that this is being run as a part of the overall Russian mafia and mm-hmm. that, um, you know, that maybe the person who's doing this is going a lot more extreme than the rest of the Russian mafia. But he basically creates a situation where not only can he rescue a particular group of girls, but he creates a situation where the rest of the, the head of the Russian mafia thinks that this guy has betrayed him. Right. And so, as you said, like Michael keeps his hands clean, but he's 100% set up, set up a situation where our villain of this episode is going to be, probably brutally tortured and killed by the Russian mafia. Which, yeah. And I think we're okay with that because he's truly a horrible person. Yeah. But it's not in any way questioning the Russian mafia itself or in any way no. harming them. Um, yeah. And yeah. I think it's a very interesting part of what, what Weston does because it's on the one hand, it's, it's we set up a bond that bond often puts people in a situation where they'll get killed. Mm-hmm. Bond seems to do it casually. Weston does right. it very intentionally, but he's very, oh, yeah, He's very cautious about it and, and tries hard not to do it to the wrong people. Yeah. But it's also interesting to me because he's very um, – I think we'll talk about this in a second when we get to his goals. He can be very – you know, if someone comes to him and says, I got hurt by this situation, he wants to fix that situation. Mm-hmm. And whether or not he wants to fix the larger situation that that fits into, sometimes he does. But often he can really just tunnel in on this one part of the Russian mafia is doing this bad thing. Let's eliminate that thing. Right. And I think that makes a certain amount of sense within both the context of being like a former secret agent and or a, agent, whatever, um, actually contractor. Right. Uh, yeah. I think. <laughs> but he, he says, um, I used to be a spy. That's how he opens every episode. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, but, you know, when say you're a contractor 
working for a spy organization, right? And yep. you're going around doing spy stuff. For the most part, you're not like, you know, the agency's not like, oh, that government's bad, overthrow that entire government, you one guy, you, right. you know? They're like, saying... good. Yeah, no, just they're going to have a more discreet goal. Oh, go and discredit this person, eliminate right. that person, so discord between these two groups. And blow up you know, this particular scientist's research, don't shut down the entire, you know, research into terrible weapons, whatever. Exactly. It's kind of like a nudging sort of thing. It's like, well, we want to and and I mean that's probably what, you know, spy organizations throughout the world are doing when they're meddling most of the time, right? They're not mostly doing Jason Bourne kind of stuff. Like mostly they're like, well, we're going to try and push this this direction and push that that direction so that it aligns more with our interests. Right. Or, you know, whatever those interests are. Um, and so when he's looking at these, you know, powerful organizations like the Russian mafia, um, he's not like, oh, OK, I'll just get rid of the Russian mafia. You know, I mean, he's not El Mariachi. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's like, OK, that's a group that's doing a lot of terrible stuff. But what I can do is I can kind of nudge it in this way. So they stop doing this one particular um terrible thing and it and so it's kind of it is it's very surgical you know yeah i, I think it's very surgical i think it's also very realistic in a way that i really yes. appreciate it. because i think yes. and i think he actually says this on a couple occasions you know if he wipes out the i think sometimes there's this thought of like you know if you find the one leader of the mob or the gang or whatever the group is and kill that person everyone else is going to say oh, you know what? This criminal life was dumb. I'm going to go get a job at Walmart. <laughs> right, um, yeah, yeah, because that's and, what happens. And I think he's just, I think I think he's very that's realistic of the idea of, you know, there's always going to be a mob. There's always going to be a Russian mob. There's always going to be yeah. a Yakuza. There's always going to be all of these different groups out there. And it, it, it's almost sort of a like, you know, he sort of saps, if everyone kind of does their thing and keeps it to a low level, that's fine. Yeah. But when they kind of step out of line and do more evil than they're supposed to, that's when I'm going to get involved. Or at least when it's a part of their evil is brought to my attention. Like, I don't think he wants all these organizations, but I think, yeah, he has a, he's a very realistic and very pragmatic yeah. approach. Yeah. I mean, it's sort of like seeing, you know, some organizations that are selling drugs and you're like, okay, that's going to happen. And then they're selling drugs to like eight-year-olds and you're like, okay, maybe I can do something about that. Or right. maybe that's actually even too big of a thing. But like, you know, the point being like, yeah, the, somebody's – gonna step in when it when a vacuum opens up basically right? right like you can't overthrow a government without then like having a government in its place that for the most part right i mean it's gonna crop up essentially um so yeah it definitely is going for a more realistic kind of yeah so let's talk about specific things about him because I, I think one of the things okay. that makes um weston i think most interesting is his goals um you know he starts out yeah. wanting to be a spy a spy again and I think with a very justified, just a sense of like, it's not even that he's like, oh, I'm given the chance to choose something else. I want to choose the first thing. It's more he was happy not choosing, just going along with the life he was leading. And then something has now screwed. I think in a lot of ways, it's much more about like he's a it's his honor. That's his, not even his honor, but like mm. he's been falsely accused. He wants to clear his name. Um, right. And then over the course of the show. We one of the, I think one of the constants that he's wrestling with that I think is one of the most ethically interesting is how much is he willing to compromise his ethics to get his job back or what are the what are the things he's willing to go along to do, you know, because he's often faced with a situation where 
it becomes a self-fulfilling proph prophecy of he has to work with terrible people in order to prove that he wasn't working with terrible people. Right. Uh, which I, I think is both brilliant, but also just it puts him in such interesting positions as the story goes on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he basically – I mean, because, like, he was starting off working with terrible people, but then then they basically said, oh, you were working with the wrong terrible people. And he's like, no, I wasn't. And then he's working with these particular people, which is, um, I guess, sort of the overarching plot of the show, which is kind of like an onion. I mean, it, it really takes forever, yeah. you know, but – on the other hand, like, I feel like they actually handled it very well, where most episodes do manage to um, really focus in on, on something very specific that's going on. And then they just have like a couple yeah. minutes, a little tag, basically, that's like, OK, here's the over, overarching story. In terms of like this, this is not an ethical thing, but just as an aside, in terms of a show that balances episodic like problem of the week with season and story long overall problems. I think this show and Buffy, the Vampire Slayer, are like mm. the absolute gold standard. Like both of them just did such a good job of finding that balance throughout both. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's a hard thing to find. I mean, yeah. most of today's best shows, I think, are much less episodic. It's gone much more towards, you know, we're just going to have every episode be about the big thing, basically. Right. And then we'll have multiple threads. But, you know, we're not going to have some overarching thing that we just touch on occasionally. Yeah, where there's other shows that would go, like, a season or two, like, without touching on the big main thing, and um, and that would be a little less satisfying. So I do yeah. think it, it really strikes a great balance that way. Um, right. And, you know, and to, to bring to it into onion... the sort of ethic... Oh, go ahead. Oh, I just... And to get to your onion point, I think is what you're saying, What in this show it's called The Organization. But right. in this show, one of the things that it does is very much like um, Hydra on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or... Um, I forget the name of it, but there's another organization like it in um, uh, Chuck. They're sort of like every season we think we're dealing with the like, you know, the the big bad the organization. The ring. Yeah, thank you. And Chuck. And then every season we feel like we've taken them down. And then we yeah. find there's some like deeper layer of it that like still hasn't been uncovered. And it. Yeah. In 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 Burn Notice, I think it's a little bit more complex than that. It changes and shifts, which, are, which I really appreciate. Yeah. But we always have this idea of either that or just the general more nefarious, uh, um, you know, clandestine spy spy networks that he's working against. Um, but yeah, what, what do you think of the kind of journey he takes in terms of um, what he's willing to do or what he decides not to do in order to get his job back? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I start to question well before he does, like, why he wants his old job back. Right. Um, and I do think a lot of it is like he, I think there's an extent to which he wants his old job back so that then he can decide whether he wants his old job. Yeah. So in a way it's kind of choice. like, right. It's like a quest for agency basically right. for an agent. Um, <laughs> but although he was never actually an agent, but anyway, um, but like he, you know, he starts off just like, what the hell? Like. I didn't show me what it was like. He, he just even to start with, like just wants to know like what's going on. And then he's like, now I, I want to get reinstated. And then over time, you know, in order to get there, there's like more and more things where it's like, well, is this what you really want? And the, the, the characters around him also, I think are often asking him that, like, you know, why is that what you want? Like, right. you know, they burned you like, you know, you can, you're, 
you know, you're basically having a fulfilling life right now, right? Like, um, right. I mean, I'm he's doing a lot of, you know, I mean, whether we want to call it good or not, he's he's helping a lot of people on a local level in a yeah. very real way. He's a kind of like it, it reminds me of a lot of shows he's the like A-team, yeah, it's exactly what I was gonna say this, from the seventies, yeah. like the A Team or things like that, where he's yeah he's helping the people who won't be helped by the authorities, um, right. And I think you're right. One of the things I think becomes a very interesting element of it, and again, this is the kind of plot point that could be played so badly, but they 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 keep it such a good thing is that he develops people that he's close with, particularly um, his on again off again uh, girlfriend Fiona, and also his mother, um, who's I think one of the best parts of the show. To be honest, she's, she's great. It's she such a good dynamic. makes this show such a different show than it would be without her. Yeah, the, the family dynamic, um, and we'll get to that in a second. But like, I I think one of the things. That, is that he always has this idea of my connections with you are temporary, but eventually I'm going to go back into being an agent. So I have to cut you all off again. Um, right. And I think that's one of the real tensions. The other thing though, that what you said brought up for me is, and I, I wouldn't have thought of this until you really connected to me with what we were saying before about agency and the like, I think he is very much someone who falls in that camp. Um, it's all told in, not even in backstory that we see, but in references that, come up as he's talking or especially he's talking to his mother but it's very clear he had a very abusive father he had a very kind of rebellious youth and he really was like kind of you know the young man who gets recruited and all of a sudden he has an organization to belong to and he has a way to be respected and he has a way to feel like he's protecting people which yeah. has always been incredibly important to him because he mm-hmm. as a, a young boy was basically protecting his mother and his brother from this abusive father um, and, and so I think that's it's it's so subtle that I think you can forget about it, but I, I do think that's a very intentional part of the show is this idea of how much agency did he have to choose the CIA, you know, and did he really fall in love with this position because it gave him, you know, the life that he never thought he could have growing up. And then over the course of the show, he starts to realize maybe my need for that made me make some bad choices and I can actually get I can get mm. family and respectability and being able to protect people without needing to go back to that organization that has really fucked me over. Yeah. I mean, it's like, that's the first place I think he felt like he really belonged. Yeah. Right. And was, um, was a part of something that appreciated him as, you know, for doing what he was doing. And, um, you know, and then, then in a way it was like an abusive father basically. And it, it cast him out and he like, wants it, it back he, he wants its approval again and um and i i definitely um think you know that that really sort of informs his character like that um it's just it's like his default right it's like right. yeah well that's the only place that i've really felt good like like i belong <laughs> throughout my life so i want to get back to that but it takes a while to actually start to question that, to actually see from the outside what that life was like and, and to see what like a new life could be basically. And I think a lot of it also goes to kind of what we were saying before about, um, you know, whether you have your own moral agency or whether you're letting other people choose for you. Cause I think one of the dynamics that comes up and, and you mentioned like the mother, um, this show is really yeah. all about found family. Sharon Bless, who is Cagney. Yes. Cagney and, and there's a great episode where the actress who plays Lacey, she and uh-huh. her get to be buddies and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. But um, uh, 
you know, th- this was a show done by USA, and they, they had a couple where they always said that part of the idea was that it was a found family show. Um, right. And this is more review than ethics, but I just want to say, like, every time I watch shows like now the most recent Defenders or things like that where it's all about them fighting and breaking up, I, I this is a show not about people who fight, but about people who bicker. Like, they, right. they yeah. always love each other. They're always going to be family, except for the really hard episodes where they almost break up. But it, it just, it's that family dynamic that's so good. But where I was going with all that is, I think one of the things the family does for him is they hold him accountable. Because yes. there's a number of times where that desire to be part of the organization again, or any or, uh, part of the CIA, or to belong again, lets him start compromising himself and starting mm-hmm. to do more and more ethically fucked up things. Because he thinks this is what's needed for the larger goal. Right. Um, the sort of alluring idea of the greater good and like the the idea of like, oh, well, if these other people are determining what the greater good is, I can basically just like follow orders and I can just trust that they're, you know, they know what's best and it's going to be what's going to be good for everybody. And I'll just follow that. And um it's probably less exhausting than trying to make those calls on yourself every week. You know, I Um, mean, I think it's, there's a very understandable part of humanity that like having to make every ethical choice, every moment of the day is exhausting. Right. And that's part of why we want, you know, you, you know, it might be someone who goes to church and lets the pastor tell them what's right or wrong. It might be someone who, you know, follows the tweets of people who are super woke and lets them tell them what's right or wrong. Like, I mean, we all do this. And I, I mean, I, I do too. I try to think critically and I, I want the show to be a way for us to all think critically, but I think it's a very tempting thing. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, not like, I, I would say that throughout my life, I've spent a very small amount of time having anyone that I really listen to without really critically thinking about what they're saying mm-hmm. um and it's really exhausting yeah <laughs> like it's a, and, and i mean my my kind of like like basically seeing products that say like vegan on them is like that for me yeah as a, like i'll still read the ingredients but i won't worry about it the same way <laughs> like and it, it is i mean it's exhausting thinking about like every action like how is this going to you know Basically, what are the the ramifications about this? And, like, if you start thinking about what companies you want to support or don't want to support, I mean, that's a thing where it really is easier if there's, like, some people you trust and you're, like, they tell you, like, oh, this company does these horrible things. Okay, maybe that's one. you know, like, give me a list of priorities of ones that I should avoid. Whereas, like, if you're trying to do all of that research for yourself or you're, you're like, it's just, I mean, it's hard to have all the information. Yeah. um, and, And it takes so much time, you know. Yeah, it's, it's hard to have all information, and I think it's also hard to, to recognize when your own biases are blinding you a bit, you know? For sure. Um, like, um, uh, I, I'm sure vegans go through this, but I know I do as well. Like, you know, I, I, I'm not vegan, but I try very hard to only, you know, eat, like, locally sourced, you know, ethically raised food of various kinds. And I know that when it's a food that I really want or if I'm really hungry, mm. it's harder for me to really be that, you know, vigilant right, right, about yeah. it. And, yeah. and I think that's the thing with, with Michael, Michael Weston, is his desire to get back into the CIA mm-hmm. or to get his old life back, it blinds him in a lot of ways. And yeah, I have the, often the characters, said – good. I was just going to say, like the characters around him, his his family, his found family and his, his actual mom, are they basically play out kind of like his conscience. Yeah. 
Well, I, we've said often on the show that that the importance of like that he doesn't have. <laughs> well, no, but like you know, this show in large part started this whole podcast idea out of you and I debating uh, civil war and this whole concept right. of like, do you make the ethical decision for yourself or do you let the government be you know make the decision for you? Mm-hmm. And I think what, what I came down and I, I think from conversations you're somewhere in the same same realm if, if a little different, but is the idea that like. What we really want is is at least for our characters to be accountable to someone. You know, if there be someone yes. else who's yes. close to them saying, hey, are you really doing what you think you should do? And I think a lot of my favorite superhero stories do that. You know, Air, the Arrowverse yeah. does that. The, um, the yeah. Avengers, when they're at their best, do that. And I think yeah. that's part of what makes this show good is that each of the characters has their own moral flaws and, and ethical blind spots, but they all hold each other accountable. Mm. Yeah. And that, that's sort of like it's a way of diffusing power a little bit, right? Like an individual or a, like, so the, the the thing about like team Tony, not to get too deep into it is like that it would basically consolidate a lot of power with either a single world government or the collective world governments, which is an existing power structure, right. which theoretically should be held accountable to all the people, to their voters, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Personally, I, I think that that in that world and in the real world doesn't actually happen as effectively as it should. Right. Um, but whereas something like if you look at something like Team Cap, if he's on his own going around doing whatever he thinks, well, he's a very powerful person um, who if he's doing whatever he wants without kind of any check on that, then that all that power is concentrated in one one mind and one one will one like decision maker right? right whereas when that person then actually has like a group of people around them who are like hey maybe you shouldn't do that thing you know <laughs> maybe you shouldn't build ultron oh that's tony but like um when when they have those those voices around them then it's you're diffusing that power that power while it physically rests in that one person it kind of belongs to all of those people to an extent right and so that's one way of having accountability and, yeah, and, and I get that. And again, not to get into the, the Civil War yeah, thing, though, I, I, we should finally just have that episode at some we point. We should, we should. But I think what part of what I come down on is also that I like the idea of heroes and, and agents being accountable to each other. But, like, I always keep thinking, like, but there still needs to be a civilian review board, you know, that there mm. needs to be someone who's not the secret agent, who's not the police, who's not the hero, who also gets to say, like, look, I don't have the biases you do, and maybe I don't know what you do, but here's what I see is wrong. And I feel like Burn Notice is the only show that has that in the character of Madeline, the mother. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because like, it's... she's not an agent. She's not a spy. Right. And and she, you know, she does a couple of cool spy things that are yeah, fun, but, yeah. but she doesn't have the training, and so she doesn't have that, like, the inherent way of looking at the world, which gives her a yeah. great view on it. Um, yeah, I agree. I just like uh, backing up a second, there's one quote I wanted to read. Um in the show, Michael Weston often does voiceovers, which I think are very powerful and a nice way of introspection. Um, and this is from season three, episode nine. And it's during a plot arc where he's he he once again has the chance to maybe go back with um, to get back into the CIA. But he has to work with a pretty horrible person to do it. And um, at this point, Fiona, him and his girlfriend are together. But she's at the point of saying, like, I can't be with you if you're going to do this. Um, in part because she's saying, like, I don't think this is who you are. And what Mm. he says is, when you work as a covert operative, there's no line between who you are and what you do. 
It makes you effective. It keeps things simple. But when you spend so much time with someone else, sometimes the people you care about begin to wonder who you really are. Um, I, I love that line, but I feel like it's also just like it's so much the heart of what we're just talking about with all these characters, you know, of yeah. how, how do you how do you find what your own core values are outside of the, the life you have to take on to be this this person? I mean, in, I mean, basically like it's saying like, if that's your life, that's your life. And you don't necessarily have that much room for anything else. Or even if you try and have room for something else, like the mission's always like the thing, basically. Right. And when you go around doing this or that, or being this person or that person who aren't like who you really are, but it's like who you are a lot of the time it's it's like consuming yeah right and and that the people around him are like maybe don't be like that yeah like maybe don't be like that all the time at least you know um and i i think i think like fiona and sam kind of want to they have this idea of like that you can have some sort of work-life balance yeah um which you know michael seems to sort of not he's probably never had that right right well in part because i think and in some ways i feel like this like Jason Bourne is living out the absolute most extreme version of this idea. Um, but I think that, um, with Michael, part of it's that he never liked his life beforehand. You know, he, right. Yeah. 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 He didn't have a happy home life that he, this all took him away from. Right. And both Sam and Fiona have now spent many, many years outside of their respective organizations and Mm -hmm. learned to kind of adapt in a way that Michael met in some ways. I feel like that's the overall character arc of the show is Michael learning, that he can develop a life outside of, of the work and that he yeah. can be happy in that. Yeah. And, and he just hadn't seen that as an option even before, cause he'd never lived it. Right. So let's talk about some of his goals and kind of the ethical questions they raise. And we talked about how a lot of what he does is, you know, it's 100% manipulation. It's using others to, um, you know, figuring out what does someone else want and, and getting them to want what you want them to do, getting them to choose to do the thing you want them to do. Um, it's obviously very effective. What's, what's your take on it kind of ethically and how, especially how it compares to like a bond or a born or to some other ideas of, of espionage? I mean, it's complicated, right? <laughs> like, like any good, like ethical question, I think like, you know, I mean, to me, like I am kind of like an ends versus the means yeah sort of you know that that's i mean the means are ends right like in your mind they might not be but ultimately the way i see it is like what's the sum total of everything you put out into the world right and but at at the same time also like this the sum total not the net right like there's yeah. a bunch of things that you might deem positive and a bunch of things that you might deem negative and if those two things kind of like in your mind balance out that's actually a very different thing than if the sum total of what you put out into the world is like nothing or all neutrality. Mm-hmm. Like even if you can somehow wrap your mind around like, Oh, well we're netting those out. It's like bad things you do. I think you can justify them by achieving good things, but like they're never not bad things that you did. Right. Those things always happened. You did them. And so Ultimately, it's, you know, it's sort of subjective in in my view, like, is it worth it? You know, and that's, that's kind of a personal decision. And in other ways, you know, people would like to make those decisions societally. 
I'd say we're kind of going through that right now. Yeah, very um, much so. <laughs> but like, yeah, a, a lot of the things he does, I'm I'm okay with because usually there's some really bad other scenario that he's trying to um, extricate someone from or to avoid. Um, so it's like, you know, is it okay to lie to someone so that they don't go and then kill someone? Like, uh, yeah, probably, you yeah. know, <laughs> like, like most of the time, like, I don't know, were they going to kill Thanos or were they going to kill like a fairly innocent person or not even innocent? I mean, whatever that means, but like, you know, it, it's, there are, there are things he does, um, particularly later on in the show that I have more, that give me more pause, Yeah. you know, than earlier on, um, like earlier on, uh, well, I mean, without spoilers, um, to be broad, but specific, like, oh, go kill this person, um, who you knew or who's your friend or whatever. And if you do that, then you'll prove that you can be in this organization that you want to infiltrate because they're doing all these other horrible things. Right. Right. It's like, well, that's a really bad thing to do. And you're basically taking someone on their word that, you know, you're where you're going to end up is actually going to let you do more good or avoid more harm than, than what you're doing. But it's like, that's like, yeah, boom, you're going to go and shoot someone in the head. Basically. It's like, okay, well that's, that's super clear. Right? I mean, now we have the antagonists in the Jason Bourne movie are exactly that. You know, they, they still trust that the organization is telling them the right thing to do. And right. So they're going to go exactly. do it. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, are they evil? Uh, I mean, they're, they might be an instrument in evil. Maybe they're an instrument for good. If you have a certain viewpoint, like, yeah. but they're basically an instrument. Right. So at that point, you know, there's a point at which someone basically can say, okay, I'm a tool you know, and I'm going to lend myself to this decision maker and I'm going to kind of absolve myself of decisions and my actions will be my actions, but they won't really be my actions. Like I'm almost like, you know, like revoking my own agency. Yeah. Um, but it's like, but they're still their actions, right? Like they still are the ones who, um, chose to pull the trigger or not. Um, you know, I mean, some of my favorite characters are like retired assassins and, if I look at a bunch of those stories, maybe even the majority of them, it's like somebody is like sent to kill a kid or, or sent to kill someone who has kids or this or that. And there, or there's like a baby that they're holding. Yeah. And then they have this sort of like, what am I doing? You know? I mean, and they, they we, we realize it, that it, is born. That's yeah. exactly. Yeah. He's on the list. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, he, he's like about to kill Wombosi and then he sees like, Oh, his kids are there with him. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Like, this isn't, you know, what am I doing? Um, and it, you know, but like, what if Wombosi like had a bunch of child soldiers and, or is like killing kids or like enslaving them or whatever. It's like, you know, maybe there is a viewpoint where like killing him in his boat in front of his two kids makes sense. Maybe there's not like, we're never yeah. given any details on that, which I'm fine with. Like, you know, I'm also fine with, you know, not going around knocking off the leaders of different countries. Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, <laughs> like, yeah, but I, like I, okay I think you're right. And I will say, I think Burn Notice remains a, a strong show through all seven seasons, but I definitely like the first three or four far more. Um, mm. And I think it that becomes that, a very different show, I think. Yeah. Well, I think that there becomes a point where like the main tension of the show becomes harder and harder to hold for that entire time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, but I, I definitely, but even I think, I think, and part of it, part of why I think I really like it earlier is he's very introspective about what he's yes. doing. Um, yes. For me, I think what often bothers me is the character who, and not like bothers me as bad writing. I think it's great writing. This is what people actually do. But is the people who make moral choices without realizing it. And I think mm. Weston, at least, is constantly aware of the price of the choices he's making and is sort of right. making this moral calculus of like, yeah, I'm not like actually happy that this guy is going to go get tortured because of what I did, but right. it's going to stop this neighborhood from getting hurt or stop these women from being trafficked. Or, so like yeah. it's justified. Yeah. But and, – and we'll get to it in a second, although I want to say one or two other things otherwise about it. Um, when he, when he makes a mistake, like I feel like you know, Bond gets people into trouble and just doesn't care. Uh, yeah. Weston, I think one of the defining things of him, and this becomes a, a part of why a major character joins the show, um, is that oh, when yeah. he makes a mistake and gets someone else in trouble, most of the time he really cares about that. And either yeah. he tries to prevent it or um, in a couple of cases where the person does get killed, he carries that guilt in a very serious way, um, yeah. which I really appreciate. Yeah, I mean, it shows that you know, that there are consequences for, you know, especially every time, you know, we make a decision where it's something where it's like, well, we don't really want to do this, but we think that it's justified because of such and such. It's like, there's real consequence to that. Yeah. And, and, you know, he'll carry it through more than one episode. It's not like, it's just like, oh, at the end of that episode, he feels bad. Like, you know, it's like there actually is a weight to the show. And I, I feel like the show actually kind of gains weight a little bit as it moves on. Yeah. Um, and uh, just a brief aside, as far as the structure of the show, season seven, um, I, I, I feel, I think I agree with you a lot about like seasons five and six, mm-hmm. but then season seven, which was the last season, they did like a half season and it was basically not episodic. It was just like, here's the conclusion of the arc of the, the overall yeah. story. And I thought that was actually pretty tight and they, they really did a, a good, good job with that overall. There might've been some moments, but, yeah, I, uh, I, but I think you're that right. was like really delving deep into the, like, you know, is this justified by this or that? Well, especially cause I feel like, and then what happens in a lot of these shows, like seasons five and six were kind of in a holding pattern. Like they'd gotten to a point where mm-hmm. the only neurological step was to end the story, but they weren't ready to do that yet. Um, yeah, yeah, and a part of they do that by introducing new characters and focusing. More, but yeah, like season seven ends it. Um, yeah, I will just say that there's one thing I think is his major. What I see is his major ethical flaw, and I wonder if you agree on that. Uh, and then let's talk about Jesse. Um, one, to me, Michael has among other things an incredible trust in his own abilities, and, mm. and, and an incredible faith in the fact that he will be right. And right. One of the recurring things that happens through the show is that the person he's trying to help gets worried that this is actually going to make things worse. And is at some point even saying, like, wait, can we stop? Can we not do this? Maybe this is a bad right. idea. Yeah. And Michael's always saying, you have to trust me. You have to trust me. Um, yeah. Because this is a show, 99% of the time, Michael turns out to be right. Um, yeah. But it, it, it to me, it brings up some of the problems I have with the Team Cap idea, which is – you're constantly asking other people to put themselves at risk or to, you know, take away their own agency in order to trust Michael that he knows what he's doing. And maybe it's just because I just I any level of hubris like that always bothers me. Um, right. I just right. I don't think anyone is ever going to be that capable. But I just it was always the one thing. And I think the show at least 
sort of acknowledges it. But it's the one thing I always thought that was a real flaw with Michael was that he's so confident in his abilities that he often really shuts down other people when they don't think this is the right thing to do. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I, um, I'm trying to think of like examples, but I mean, in, in, like in the pilot, he basically asked the guy, like, how far are you willing to take this? Right. And he pretty much won't take the case until the guy basically like signs on for, because I, I think, you know, the thing is inherent in his approach is a certain amount of sort of escalating danger in order to actually escape it. Right. Right. Like if, you know, if you're trapped somewhere in a dangerous situation, the, the time when you're trying to get out of it is probably often going to be the most dangerous time. But then after that, you might actually be, you know, safe in a relative fashion. Um, I, I do think he doesn't listen to the other people that often, um, I mean, he does like in certain ways, but he really does think like, look, I know the best way to do this and that's how we're going to do it. And a lot of times the, um, the other characters are kind of having doubts in understandable ways, but like, because they don't really buy into what's going on and they don't know everything that's going on. And so he's kind of trying to reassure them basically um, but I, I do think that there's, you know, an, a certain amount of hubris and like, he thinks that he always thinks he's going to be able to, to get it done. Um, and if he doesn't, he'll just often, he'll be like, yeah, you know, we can't do that or that's impossible. And then like eventually talks himself into finding a way to yeah. do it. But like, you know, he's like, oh, you know, all those guards over there, we can't just like get in like, and that'll be a thing, you know, which yeah. I appreciate. It's not like, oh, we'll just do this and then this and then this. It's like, no, we can't do that because there are a bunch of heavily armed people and we can't just overpower, you know, 20 of them. Yeah, like, that's it, not it sets the parameters well, which I like. And I, I do, yeah. th- you're right, I, in order to prepare for this show, I watched just a couple of cherry-picked episodes, and I didn't go back and watch the pilot. Mm-hmm. And you're right, in the pilot, he really makes a, d- a point of saying to his client, like, if you take me on, you have to go through it all the way. And I guess if we sort of assume that he's kind of having that conversation with every potential client just off screen, then, yeah. then it makes more sense. Um, but they don't go through that every episode, so we don't see that, so we don't know whether that's right. yeah. what happens or not. <laughs> So let's talk about Jesse. Um, and just again, for those who either don't remember or haven't seen the show, um, and again, this, this is somewhat of a spoiler, um, but in season four, I think with good reason, wanting to kind of freshen up the cast a little bit and bring in some new blood, but also to create an interesting um, quandary, um, <clears throat> he creates a situation where he accidentally gets another agent burned, doing exactly to this guy Jesse what he did to himself, what someone else did to him. What they did, yeah. 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 <clears throat> And he decides to basically, um, Jesse is trying to find out who burned him. And for a while, it's pretty clear that like, he wants to go after Michael, you know, or he wants to go after the person who did it. And then Michael, te- you know, he finds out it's Michael and he wants to go after Michael. And I always thought it's, it's, to me, it's very revealing that Michael makes a very conscious choice to say, this is my fault. I'm going to take responsibility for it. I'm going to. To some extent, not sacrifice myself, but to make myself vulnerable for, to protect this person, and then to do what I can to, if not get this person back in, at least to help give this person a life and to help rehabilitate them, because I have to take this responsibility. Um, and to me, I think that's like the most unbond moment of the entire show. You know, it's just such a yeah. like. It, it made me really see that like he accepts that the work he does is going to have collateral damage, 
but he's willing to see it. Right, and not just willing to see it. It's like that's step one. He's willing right? to, is to like, fix it, yeah. Right, is like see, is to like acknowledge that's that's step one that like I created harm. You know, I did harm to someone and to someone who you know it wasn't like their fault. They were they were just I just basically had to do this in order to achieve this other end. But I made the call that it, that it was okay to do this to harm this person in order to get my other ends met. Right, but. The second step, which I think is even more important, is to actually attempt to make amends, to attempt yeah. to, um, you know, not like get him to forgive him, but to actually materially improve the situation. You know, it's like you can acknowledge that you did something, you can apologize for something, and like that's better than nothing for sure. And some things you do, you, there are no amends you can make, right? Yeah. But like if there are, then that's like that's the step towards actually rectifying something actually you know putting someone in a better situation than the one you left them in after you harmed them um and like if everybody did that the world would be a much better place yeah no it's very true um i want to start shifting to um some of the other characters do you have anything more you want to say about michael before we kind of look at some uh, of the others no i think i think we we pretty much um Oh, uh, yeah, I just one more one tiny note. I just want to double back to the whole like the idea of keeping his hands clean kind of uh -huh. um, by getting other people to like probably bump off someone that, you know, is doing something that he doesn't like. Um, it sort of flips the like ends justifying the means on the the on its head. I mean, it's sort of like, do the means justify the ends, right. you know, like basically, you know, Oh, well I didn't do it, you know, but it's like, it's the same ends. So, yeah. you know, in terms of like what the moral weight is or not, I mean, I, it's, it's similar, but it's different, but it, it's like, it's just like the same thing, but kind of backwards basically. I mean, I think, I think Michael to his credit would never claim that there's some higher morality in letting the, the Russian mob kill a guy rather than himself. Yeah. I think it's more yeah. that he, I think what he feels is it's safer for him. Like he has oh, less yeah. chance of getting caught. Yeah. I think it creates a situation where the Russian mob might get caught for doing it. And hell that's great right. too. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, He's not going to get arrested for murdering someone that he didn't murder, that he just tricked someone else into murdering. Yeah. Basically. I, I think a lot or of it is, is that level of like, um, you know, it's pragmatic. It's pragmaticness. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk about some of the other characters um, right after this quick commercial break that we have no control over. Welcome back, everyone. And before we jump back into the conversation, I want to take just a quick moment um, to thank everybody. Last week, we were doing a, a review drive, trying to up our number of reviews, get more people to hear us. And a lot of you really stepped forward. I want to say I'm really grateful. I'm grateful to my friends at the Stranded Panda Podcast Network who helped to make that happen. I want to read just a couple of the um, uh, great reviews we got. Uh, my Little Melody wrote, I really enjoyed the pod and the in-depth discussion of some of my favorite fandom content. Very similar to what I talk about with my kids. About uh, Very similar to what I talk about with my kids when we watch Marvel movies. Uh, thanks a lot, Melody. Um, it's great to hear. would love to kind of hear some more of the thoughts that you and your kids share. Um, you know, from the mouths of babes and all that. would love to hear kind of some of the wisdom they have. Always throw that in anytime it's a, an episode we've discussed something. Uh, Katie Rose Button, who I know is a great fan of uh, all of the podcasts on the Stranded Panda Podcast Network, writes, I love superhero ethics. It's the kind of thing you can listen to, and it makes you feel good about the world and gives you a little hope. Every angle is discussed, it's entertaining, and it gets you thinking in a philosophical way. 
Uh, thank you again, Katie. Um, I know we can often be pretty down on things, so I'm glad that we do give you some hope. I think it may be because you haven't listened to some of our older episodes, but either way, we'll take it. Um, and last one uh, I have to read just because this really made me laugh, and I hope it will too. Um, and this comes from Amazer AM. This is part of the Stranded Podcast Network, which is the best network. Yeah, I see you in the corner saying no. I see you. Does your favorite network have a podcast about ethics? Didn't think so. Best network. Uh, thanks a lot, Amazer. I'm glad we are uh, doing our part to uh, shore up the uh, Stranded Panda Podcast Network as your favorite podcast. So please keep the reviews flowing. Please talk to us on Facebook, on Twitter. Uh, we've been getting more conversations, and I'm going to start um, trying to be more proactive about getting those conversations out there so that people can write in and tell us what they think. So uh, thank you so much. And now back to the show. Okay, we're back. Um, so let's talk about um, the rest of this family, because um, I think each of them has... They're all his conscience, but he's but they're all also the conscience and accountability for each other because each of them has their own kind of like moral blind spots in ways, and they each make their own I think really interesting choices over the course of the show. Um, and let's start with Madeline, the mother. Um, what what do you kind of see as her arc in in regard to all this? Hmm. Um, I mean, her arc she goes from basically you know being a mom with grown up kids, you know, basically being a woman living in Miami with grown up kids who've moved away and, you know, she's got friends. I'm, I'm trying to remember what she does. Does she have like a job she goes and does? I believe she's retired and she has like some, so she has social security and like some right. small pension that her husband had, but, but money's yeah. tight for her. Right. Yeah, exactly. And then gradually, and she knows, she knows that Michael does something that's like shady. And right. cause I think he's been like sending back, like bricks of cash or whatever or yeah. something. Right. Um, so she like, and, and you know, at a few points he's like, don't ask me about my work or whatever. And she's like, she kind of respects that to a point, I think, but she's also like, look, I know you can do these things. So I'm going to, you know, ask you to, to help my friend out. Um, and then gradually she comes to, to know like exactly what he's doing basically, or closer to what he's doing. And, um, and, you know, sort of gets in on it yeah. and, and helps out in spots. Um, I, I mean, I feel like, I don't know. Um, I, for me, I think there's a couple of key things. One is, yeah. and this is more about the show itself than her, but on so many of the shows, we have this like epic multi-season gaslighting of the people who don't know mm. that's played mm -hmm. for comedy, but that always really bothers me. And I really appreciate right. that they don't do that here. They yeah. let her figure it out pretty quick and then have honest conversations yeah. about it. Yeah. I feel like a lot of her arc is her coming to realize the, how much damage was done to Michael as a child. Oh yeah. You know? And I feel like that's a, it, there's a lot of stuff they do with the guilt that they feel. Um, and then, some parts of the show that are just the most charming as well as I think the most human, him and his mother go to therapy together to like talk about these issues. <laughs> That's right. And That's right. It's funny because he like there's so many things he can't say in the therapy, but right. they're just yeah, yeah. these beautiful moments of like I, I think to me, I think the mother is the is such a huge part of helping him um rebuild that human connection because she and then later his brother are the only ones who knew him before he went and joined the CIA. Yeah. I mean, she's a huge part of him becoming a person, Yeah, you know? Um, but then also I think like, I think he's a big part of her kind of, um, 
sort of finding a purpose later in life, yeah. like feeling like she's doing things that are helping people and, and, you know, not, not just him, but like, you know, when, when she gets him like early on, I think maybe it's the second episode. She's like getting him to help her, her friend who'd gotten, you know, conned by some people yeah. and, um, you know, and then to, to the end when she's like trying to, to, you know, really make a large difference in a, you know, a small number of people's lives basically. And, um, you know, she becomes an integral part of the story. Like she's always an integral part of the story, but in the beginning, she's more, um, she's it's more sort of like the kind of like a sweet antagonist almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's the complicating factor. She's like the, the home story, like where, you know, you, you'll have a lot of shows are built around sort of like, there's the character at work and then they go home and like, there's the contrast between that. Um, and she goes from being sort of more like the, the contrast to being more sort of integrated into the, you know, the sort of what's going on. Um, and uh, I mean, another thing that I just say, I appreciate about the character is that, you know, I mean, you're saying there's not this elaborate gaslighting, like in the beginning, he doesn't tell her what he does explicitly, right? but he's not like, Oh, I work at a convenience store. Yeah, you know, he never lies. To it's her. like, he just says, don't ask. Right. Yeah. And she knows that he's doing some stuff that like, you know, it's better not to ask about, but like, she's a very inquisitive person. And like the more she has contact with him in Miami and he's doing all these things, it's like, eventually she just has to know. Right. And, you know, and finds out. I also think she, I mean, she really becomes kind of the den mother of the show in a way, like, mm -hmm. which I really like. She's not, she doesn't do the research of a Giles character, but it's kind of like that right. same role. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. And I think yeah. what I like is also that she, I mean, for her, definitely the, the highest priority always is family and safety. Um, and right. I think that's a nice kind of, um, you know, sort of check on him in a lot of ways. Um, yes. I will say that um, there's a major family disaster that happens towards the end of the show that, that does raise a lot of um, ethical questions. But frankly, I kind of didn't love the writing of and because it would also be spoilers. I'm just choosing to kind of brush mm. over for those yeah. who've seen the show and are wondering why the world we're not talking about it. Um, but I do think that, that even that sort of exposes more of her. You know, she loves her children. She wants what's best for them. And, and she's worried. And she wants to figure out what's the best way to do this. Um, what, uh, what's your take on Fiona? And kind of the moral arc that she has. And, and, and her role, her, sort of her role to be accountable to him. Should we shoot them? <laughs> uh. <laughs> she is described like... as the trigger-happy ex-girlfriend. Who is um, <clears throat> very quick to, Maybe the most James Bond of the show. Very quick to blow people up when she needs to. Yeah. <laughs> um... I think, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I really appreciate Fiona for a lot of reasons. Uh -huh. Um, I guess my, my take on her as like, a like she's very, um, kind of and justify the means like, right. Not even like she, I mean, I mean, she was in the IRA, right? Yeah. Like, so she's, she's got a very different, I mean, she was part of an organization, but it's a very different organization um, in terms of, you know, I think like what would lead you to, to do that? Like it's, it's a, a, an organization that's antagonistic towards the government. And, um, and so I think she comes from that sort of viewpoint. Like, she's like, you know, why do you want to go back to the CIA? Like she doesn't, she doesn't trust the CIA people, the FBI people. Right. Um, in, in some ways, I think she has a, a, a more realistic 
um, viewpoint. Um, I mean, maybe she just has a viewpoint that's closer to my own. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm not like all about like shooting people, but, um, I mean, I think, I think she had sort of like, yeah, like she had her Michael Weston moment 10 years earlier. You know, she went through bad times with the organization she was part of and decided this is dumb. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. I'm not going to try. And I think that's why it so hurts her to, to see him do that. Um, yes. And I think she's a really interesting one because like, yeah, for the most part, she's much more headstrong. She's much more violence prone. But she also has some very strict things that she – like for her, it's much more about like you don't get into bed with people who are doing bad things. Um, and she's also fiercely, fiercely protective of children and has a yeah. very strong like you know if you're hurting children, like you got to go, no questions asked. Um, which I like about her because, again, it makes her so believable You know that she has these blind spots. You, know, you can call that a blind spot. It's a pretty reasonable position. Yeah. But that she has her right. perspective and it, it plays off so well on Michael's. Uh, so w- one thing I really appreciate about her character is that, I mean, she does have those clear viewpoints and she she's more contrary than like Sam, yeah, you know, towards Michael. Um, she's, you know, and sometimes that's like she just wants to be more violent, which is like, OK, I mean, that's not necessarily <laughs> the best viewpoint, but. But other times, I mean, she's more often like, do you really want to do this? Like, why are you involved in this? And um, I mean, I also just really appreciate that, like, they didn't cast like a 22 year old actress with like a 38 year old guy or whatever. Yeah. Like she she feels real, you know, like a yeah. real person. And um, she, she, the actress and the character are both very attractive, but she's not played as as like the the traditional kind of TV bimbet in any way. Like she's a very intelligent, right. very capable, clearly a woman in her thirties. You know, who is right. <clears throat> why Michael's attracted to her is very very obvious, and 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 that's clear. Yeah. But she's also not played as the like you know a flippity gibbet or or you know like you said like the twenty two year old to a thirty eight year old. Yeah, she, she's she, not she's a Bond girl. She's or like. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. In, in a very real way. And, and in in that, you know, she has her own viewpoints on how to go about things. Um, she wants to help people. But like certain times she's like, well, that's that that doesn't seem like a good way of going about it. Um, you know, she's she's not afraid to I mean, she does her own thing separately for a lot of the show. Right. Um, which like is maybe not a great thing to be doing, but yeah. like I mean, like she's like an arms dealer, right? Or she's like always doing these arms deals or whatever. She's an arms dealer um, slash bail bonds person. Like she's got a couple right. of shady things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but and I mean, some of them are maybe like good, and some of them are maybe not as good. But like, um, I I think like Sam is very much like, and we'll get to him in a in a minute. But like, I feel like he's sort of the, um the the sort of the the sort of conscience like sort of like reflection more of michael whereas i i feel like she's further apart you know what what occurs to me and i I think a lot of this has to do with her emotional entanglement with him which we'll get to but in a lot of ways i feel like sam and fiona are the spock and mccoy you know Mm, she's the like michael's trying to walk this line and she's the more Mm -hmm. volatile emotional and Sam's yeah. a little bit more the like let's step back and reflect. Um, yeah, he definitely has his strong emotion moments, but they they play. It's one thing I think that makes the show so good is that they play out really well as kind of both pulling him in different directions. Yeah, and I think some of the most rewarding parts of the show are when the two of them have to acknowledge like we actually kind of are friends too, and actually really help. Like, right. there, there's a great right. a couple of great moments where one of them will save the other, 
And and Michael will be like, wow, you really helped save them. And they'll be like, yeah, don't tell the other. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, I think you're right in the counterpoint there. And I think, for me at least, an essential part of that is, you know, Fiona very clearly from the very start wants a romantic relationship with him, but she wants a relationship with, with him who is no longer in the agency. Like right. she has found herself outside of the agency, outside of the organization in her case, um, or the IRA. And she wants him to do that so he can be with her. And, yeah. and in her mind, I think somewhat fairly and sometimes maybe a little unfairly, but, but understandably that's how she sees it she always kind of sees it as he can pick a life with her or he can pick a life of going back to the agency. Um, I think it like just saying that, that sounds like such a dumb trope, but they do it so well that it never, it it really feels like that she's about, I want you to be the person I fall in love with, not the person who feels like they need to be a spy. Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting because the person she fell in love with wasn't really the person he was, Yeah, but it was right. Like he was, he was playing a character then. I mean, he was undercover, but like, but like, I mean, uh, you know, one thing that he says early on is like when you're, you know, trying to establish a cover identity or when when you're lying, like you always want to have elements of the truth. Right. And that's what actually will sell it better. Um, and so, you know, it's it's possible that there's an extent to which when he was when he's playing any given character and maybe particularly that one when she met him, um, he's actually exposing a part of himself that he's like denying the rest of the time. Right. When he's like being an agent, but not pretend, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it's like when an, an actor or whatever, um, lets something out of themselves that is, is part of them, but that they don't like express in their normal everyday interactions. Um, yeah. And it, <clears throat> I think, I think it's a really good way of doing it. Yeah. She, she's, because I think she she fell in love with Michael McBride, who's his alter right. ego when they work together. Yeah. But it's really, I think, over the course of the first couple seasons that she's seeing this other part of him, and that's yeah. what she really falls for. Um, yeah. And, and, I mean, as, like, the quote you were saying earlier, you know, that in his mind, there's no line between who he is and what he does. And so if what he does is goes back and works with this agency, like then that's who he is in his mind. Right. And like, that's not who she wants him to be. That's not who she wants to be with. Um, and, and, you know, overall throughout the course of those series, he basically has a choice. Like, who does he want to be? Yeah. There's one other key moment for a character, and this is going to be a pretty big spoiler from late in the show. So <clears throat> if you are wanting to rewatch the show or, or watch it for the first time and, and don't want to be spoiled on a major plot point, that's pretty late in the show. I'd say skip ahead two or three minutes, maybe, maybe five, knowing how much we talk. Um, so that'll be a three, two, one. Um, I think, to me, one of the most important moments for her character is when she's the one who causes collateral damage. She sets off a bomb that causes two innocent people to be killed. And there's this whole season-long arc of trying to figure out if there's a way to keep her out of jail without also Michael going to jail. And in the end, she winds up turning herself in. And and my yeah. again, I haven't seen it in a little while, but my memory is that it's in part a, I want to sacrifice myself instead of Michael, but it's also in part because she really does feel the guilt of what she did, you know, that, yeah. <clears throat> and I, she really feels like I did this thing wrong. I was trying to do a good thing and I think I needed to do it, but there was collateral damage and I can't just say the ends justify the means. I have to face accountability for what I did here. Yeah, and I mean, she feels that she's the person who was supposed to be arrested for that. 
she's the person who's supposed supposed to you know turn herself in not not him take credit for something that he didn't do um and you know i mean i think at some point there's there's a a line like you know where's where's the line and then he's like with fiona there is no line and then she basically doesn't want him to go and and do whatever per certain things right um and yeah i mean taking taking accountability is i mean she doesn't that's the sort of thing where it's like there's no amends right? right i mean i guess maybe you can try and find out who you blew up and then like get some money to their family or something but like you know you blew them up like they're gone right like, you can't undo that right um and on some level but, like you're being in jail might bring them some comfort but but not really like they said right you think that like them being in jail will make it right it doesn't um right yeah i, I don't think so. but i mean but i do feel like to me i contrast this very much with scarlet witch um in civil mm. war you know where who yeah um <clears throat> and again i feel like scarlet witch has a little bit more um of an excuse in that like <clears throat> she's 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 like the the rookie in the field and i put it more yeah. on the way she was trained yeah. but i do feel like you know i'm really impressed by the fact that fiona takes that accountability yes. and i feel like that says a lot about her relationship with with michael because she is the one who's always sort of poking like she's always saying like are you okay manipulating this person what if they get hurt you know what what yeah. she always wants to look at the collateral damage and yeah um as an episode i just rewatched in season three so a big part of why she leaves the ira is because yeah. of the collateral damage that she would be causing. Yeah, I was going to say that seems like a fairly reasonable viewpoint for a former IRA member. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, yeah, so let's talk about uh, Sam Axe, <clears throat> who I, I will admit is hands down do my you... favorite character in the show. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, do you have any feelings about this character? <laughs> yeah, I, I love Sam Axe. I, I mean, it's Bruce Campbell who is just mm -hmm. so good at, like, walking the line between being, like, charming and a cad and is so yeah. good at it and even when he, he yeah. crosses the line he's so funny about it but <clears throat> i i also like like i feel it says a lot about you and i that like you relate more to michael weston i relate more to sam axe sam is definitely the more conservative one he's definitely the more <laughs> like wanting to go with the organization one um but i feel like he also has very strong for him loyalty is the incredible strong principle um, yes. There's a number of times where he helps people who he really doesn't like, but because, like, he shares a bond with them. Yeah. And I feel like, in a way, again, one thing I like about this show is the relationship Michael has with Fiona is is very different than Sam, obviously. But the one he has with Sam is just as important. And Oh, for sure. He has some major fallings out with Fiona, but he also has some major fallings out with Sam that are played just as emotionally important. I'd actually argue more so mm -hmm. um that's fair i mean i think like if you were to put the characters in order in terms of like how much weight they have on the the story but also like maybe in terms of screen night and screen time sorry um he's probably number two yeah and then fiona's probably number three and then and then um madeline's probably the fourth um uh, but like i i think the thing is is that Michael and Fiona have like a very contentious, explosive relationship. Right. And so they'll have a, it's, it's much more volatile. So you kind of get used to that. And I think they get used to that. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 it impacts both of them individually. Um, but the relationship that Mac, that uh, Michael has with Sam is, is more stable. 
Yeah. And so when they really do have a falling out, yeah, that's true. I think there's kind of more weight there because it's it's more of it feels like more of a um more of an event basically as opposed to um a mood or like the weather. Yeah. <laughs> and by mood, I don't mean like she has a mood. I mean like, you know, it's the mood of the show. It's like, "Oh, okay, that's kind of where they are right now." Right. Um because they're very volatile. But like Sam's very steady. He's very he's kind of like slow and steady and he'll tell Michael when he thinks like, "Oh, I don't think you should do this." Da da da. And then Michael's like, "Well, I'm going to do it." He's like, "All right, well, I'm we're there with you, buddy." Right. You know. Until he's not. And it's like, "Whoa." You know. Yeah. Like, I think that's actually a good point. And part I think that's also good writing. Michael and Michael and Fiona have the the moonlighting on again off again relationship that defines the show. Sam yeah. and him don't, and so you, you you don't need to keep that tension the whole time. And mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but you're right. I think because most of the time Sam is willing to say again that loyalty, like I disagree with this, but I'm willing to go along with it. Um, yeah. The fee, I think there's only like two times that I can think of where he really has a break with Michael. Um, yeah. But they're both incredibly important, and I I love again that Michael really feels it too. Yeah. Yeah, it feels like everything has changed. It's like a seismic shift. Right. I, I also think that Sam gets his own arc in that, in a way that Fiona is very much like, you know, I walked away from organizations. These are all terrible. I want nothing to do with it. Sam, well, first of all, I feel like he was, ne- you know, he was a Navy SEAL instead of a right. CIA agent. And so that means yeah, like, yeah. he has special forces training. But he was never quite given as much like leeway out in the field to go do his own thing. And I feel like because of yeah. that, he probably wasn't faced with as many morally questionable situations. Um, yeah. And and also, if I remember correctly, like he didn't leave under the best circumstances, but he, but he pretty much just like, you know, he was retired. He has a pension. Um, yeah. You know, so he didn't have a like hard break with the organization the way that Fiona did. Right. And so it lets him have a very different perspective from from her in terms – like he's much more like, yeah, join the CIA. Isn't that bad of an idea? Like it's an organization. They do terrible things, but but maybe I understand. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean he definitely has a different perspective that way. And I I don't remember exactly how he left the the Navy, but I, th- I think that was in that um, – Oh, what was the it, fall uh, of Sam Axe was like a special yes, movie they made. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is super good. Yeah. Um, actually directed by Jeffrey Donovan, the, the lead actor. Oh, is it? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Who, who's not in that episode or that movie? Yeah, whatever you want to call it. It's about Sam Axe before all that happened. Exactly. Um, and how he became Chuck Finley. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like Sam did. So, like, Sam was in the in the seals. Michael was in the Rangers, right? He was in the Army Rangers. Right. And then, like, after that, Michael became an independent contractor spy, basically. And Sam became, like, a retired Navy SEAL yeah. who did some security stuff or s- some stuff like that. But, you know, didn't have the same kind of um, – you know, he'd only been loyal to an organization that was somewhat straightforward. Right. Um Right. I mean, like I'd say that the, you know, the military is more straightforward than, you know, the intelligence agencies. So um, so he he might not he doesn't have quite the same inside look at at the CIA as as Michael does. But, um, you know, he's he's kind of like if, 
you know, if the mission fits, let's do it. And if not, well, you're my buddy, so, like, I'll do it. Unless it's, like, really bad. Like, really something I'm against. Um, and he kind of, he gets, I think he, maybe he gets partially why Michael wants back in the organization. Because, like, he he didn't leave the organization, like, totally of his own volition, right? I mean, I think, yeah. I, I, I think to some extent he maybe wouldn't have minded to still be in the organization. Um, and so, you know, he didn't, he didn't leave the way Fiona did. Like Fiona left. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, I, I, I think he's, he's got like a, he's got a sort of a compass of his own, but he also, trusts his friends yeah um or his friends specifically and you know he's like he's not following orders there but he's like he's like backing him up well especially even if I think it's not his first choice of way way to go about things. in some ways when we meet him he's kind of like he's not immoral by any means but he's kind of amoral mm. like he, well, well. he i mean he's 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 living as basically a gigolo like he's right seductive to single rich women or sometimes lonely but not single rich women um right 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 and, exactly and lives off of them um he um you know he starts out by informing on on michael to the fbi yeah yeah because the, his pension is threatened which is, is definitely a right. violation of his loyalty and he feels bad about it but yeah. he kind of does it um yeah i think that's in some ways his his relationship with michael does kind of like reignite his moral center because i feel like on some I levels so. he kind of not decided to go be a shitty person but kind of decided like Okay, you know, life's now about just you know having a decent time and having a good ice, ice cold beer and a you know decent meal and, and getting by. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I think the extent to which he's you know basically trading services for money is like okay, but like the extent to which he's basically manipulating you know old somewhat older people for like <laughs> personal gain is like that's that's like a little shittier. Yeah, you know, that's a little worse. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with um, sex work, but it's like he's kind of a grifter. <laughs> Right, exactly. That's that's the part that, that I object to. Like like the like if you know, if he's like basically preying on their emotions as opposed to just like a more straight up like, you know. I, I mean I will say that there are a number of women in Miami who apparently have a number of nice cars that they either purchase for him or allow him to use that Michael right. then has to destroy to various ideas. <laughs> and it's a, a hilarious running gag of the show. <laughs> yeah. It's true. Um, and I think actually as the show goes on, um, he's more with one particular woman that he has more of a, a kind of an honest relationship with. Even if it is like, you know, she's rich and he's not rich and he's like he gets sort of material benefit from the relationship. It's like it's actually a, a relationship as opposed to he's like conning her. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, in a, you know, in a way he kind of becomes a, a you know, a sort of better, more thoughtful person through right. the course of the show. One of the relationships I think that they they don't push but is slowly developed over the show, which I really appreciate, is the relationship between Madeline and and um uh uh and Sam. And yeah. they're I mean Sam is clearly older than Michael and I think she's close in age to he's close in age to Madeline. They never establish any real flirtation between the two of them. I think in part because for Sam that's so clearly off limits. Like he he right. at one point has a real uh, issue with someone who dates his ex-wife like years after he left his ex-wife. Um, right, right. But that she does become a real friend to him and he to her. And it, it's yeah. it's nice the way that they influence each other and, and 
no, she also is is sort of a real conscience to him in I think some really mm-hmm. good ways. Um, in part, it, sometimes saying like, "Look, you've got to go help my brother, my son, no matter what you think." But other times yeah. saying like, "Look, my son's being an idiot. You need to tell him that." <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and and I mean, while like a lot of it does revolve kind of around Michael, it it does reinforce that like these characters are people who have lives outside of just whatever Michael's doing, and because um, I mean they all do. And I mean, this is kind of how a lot of shows are are built. You know, the show very clearly has a main character and the other characters sort of inform us about that character right. and serve certain roles in like plot wise. Right. But um, but they do, I think, have, um, you know, the having the other characters interact. I mean, we've already talked about Sam and Fiona, which is fairly contentious, but then um you know, and Fiona's often talking to his... Fiona's, like, actually actively trying to get his mom more in his life a lot of the yeah. time, I think. Um, to his chagrin, but, like, probably to his betterment, too. Um, but then, like, Sam and Madeline, I, I think they're about maybe similar distance in age to Sam and Michael. Mm-hmm. So I think Sam can kind of relate to both of them, yeah. sort of, um, in a in a direct way, not as like, oh, this is the mom of my friend. It's like this is you know, there's a person, and then my friend, that's a person too. And um, so, um, um, yeah, I, I I appreciate that, and I, I think it's a good um. Yeah, it, it's I, I know people often talk about on, on, like um, not entourage but uh, ensemble TV shows. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. this isn't an ensemble show. Like there's there's no, clearly a star. Not. But yes. I do feel like that it's it's a family show in that each of the other characters really gets to have their own plot arcs at times. Um, yes. And it's funny, I, I keep going back to this as an example because – maybe it's because I, I can romanticize it because I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> um, but the Arrowverse I feel like is the other show that oh. – set of shows <laughs> that does this really well where both Arrow and then The Flash are yeah. the heroes of those shows and the main yeah. characters – but all the characters get their own plot arcs and they all hold each other accountable in important ways. And they all have that found family dynamic. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it's actually quite similar in terms of structure that way. And I mean, each of those shows are named after a character, right? right. I mean, except for the like legends of tomorrow, but so they're clearly about that character first and then, but then everyone around them is so important. Um, and in burn notice, it's like, well, the burn notice clearly refers to Michael's burn notice. Right. Um, and, you know, it he's starts the off with, of the like, show in a very I'm Michael Weston. Yeah. I used to be a spy or my name is Michael Weston. You know, like, you know, it's it's pretty, pretty straightforward. Like, yeah, that's that's the narrator. That's the, you know, the um, the number one character. Uh, but but the, the other characters around him really do get, you know, some of their own arcs and feel like real people. Yeah. I guess true. And their own, you know, ethical dilemmas as well in terms of oh, there are things that they're doing themselves and also like to what extent are they willing to help Michael with things that when especially when he goes into more questionable territory. Right. I, I And some of the ways that I think are really interesting is sometimes when it's it it's like the client sometimes either Sam or Fiona winds up being the client of the week, you know. Um, right. There's one actually like fantastic uh, again quick spoiler of a funny moment so skip ahead 30 seconds if you want but um you know by season three they all joke about like how he is this like you know rescuing angel of his clients and he like you know has all these clients 
And there's a, an episode that's entirely about Fiona being date. And, and one of the things that the show does is to show these like little, it'll stop and like show the a title, uh, not a title, but like a, you know, words on the screen that say like, you know, so-and-so the client, so-and-so the, the villain, yeah. so-and-so the whatever it <laughs> right, is. Right, right, right. Undead spy. Yeah. And they're, yeah, they're hilarious. Like the undead spy is so good. <laughs> but there's a moment where Fiona is like angrily saying to Michael, I am not one of your clients. And immediately pauses and flashes on the screen. Fiona, the client. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah. It's also just such a good... Like, Sam Axe... I'm trying to talk about his ethics in the morning. He's just such an awesome guy. Like, the whole show is just so damn good. Yeah. Yeah. It is. Yeah. So, any other kind of, like, uh, closing thoughts or ideas before we, we wrap up? Um, I mean, not on, on anything heavy, but just, like, it... it it is actually like a surprisingly light show a lot of the time, yeah. you know, um, it's like one of those USA shows where the skies are blue and, you know, it's in Miami and some really horrible things happen sometimes, but like it, it doesn't feel like things are going to go wrong all the time. It's so funny like too. Like there's just so much it's really funny. genius. Um, yeah. And, and it's just, it's like the main characters and, you know, some of the supporting ones, like, they're just people that are like, it's pleasant to spend time with them. Yeah. You know, that, um, there's actually a point I, I wish we made earlier. Like Cause you're right. Much. Like I know I talk a lot about the grim dark and the grim dark is yeah. often really good place to find ethical dilemmas. Right. But this show is not grim dark in the slightest at all, at but it's yeah. so full of ethical stuff. Season seven briefly. Yeah. I mean, there's some episodes, um, but like the, to me, part of grim yeah. dark is, you have to be cynical. Every character is going to make bad decisions. Things, you know, like most episodes end with a happy ending, you know, and but like it doesn't right. feel forced. It feels like we really work to get there. And yeah, honestly, like I, I don't think I can justify creating a whole podcast around burn notice, though. God, I'm tempted. But <laughs> really? I, you know, it's pandemic time and we all need some escapes. And frankly, there's not going to be too much new content coming out in starting probably in a six months or so. I might just rewatch the whole show because it's just, it's just such a feel good show and it's so funny and so enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not a bad way to spend a hundred hours. Yeah. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Paul, thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, we'll hopefully have thank you back. You. Uh, I know, I think we're going to do this ethical espionage idea as a series. We definitely should do something on, um, uh, on born, born notice. Um, uh, born identity. I mean, born notice. <laughs> born notice. Um, <laughs> yeah. I would love to do something on Chuck because that's again such a good show. Oh, me too. Yeah. Um, as yeah. well as, I kept looking for a way to bring this up uh, and never quite found a way. And it's only really one moment in a movie, but I think one of my favorite moments of like the ethically questionable espionage person who does a terrible thing, but probably for a justifiable reason, uh, is Cassie and Andor in Rogue One, um, who oh, yeah. when gathering information that's going to lead to figuring out how to blow up the death star is in a situation where again spoilers for rogue one if you haven't seen that um but he's in a situation where he can't escape with this guy who was with him and if the guy who was with him gets caught he will almost certainly be killed but also will um maybe turn on him uh or maybe like just be tortured into giving up information that'll ruin everything so cassian just shoots him like yeah. And and clearly he's a little haunted by it, but he's also like, that's what I had to do. And it's just, I always think of that as one more of those moments of like, yeah, like Cassian isn't uh, a starfighter pilot. He's a secret agent. And, and even something like the rebellion star Wars, you sometimes need secret agents to do ethically difficult things. So 
Yeah. This is a topic we're going to respond to a lot more, I think. Yep. Um, he, he does a lot worse, though, as Felix Gallardo in uh, Narcos Mexico. Yes, that's also so, true. He's a great actor as well. <laughs> um, well, so for you folks, um, our listeners, thank you always for listening. Um, love to hear what you're thinking. Um, you can find us at Superhero Ethics on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, you can also email us, superheroethics at gmail.com. We'd love to have you be a part of these conversations. Um, these are great shows that, that raise a lot of interesting questions and movies. Um, what's your take on ethical espionage? Where, you know, how do you feel about a, a Bond or a, um, a Bourne or a Michael Weston or Chuck? Um, I should also say that um, a friend of the podcast, uh, Dave Robertson, who was recently on this show to discuss the ethics of Picard, <clears throat> he and I believe his wife have just started a um, new podcast all about Bond and the Bond movies. Um, and so I'm going to be, uh, I'll post a link to that. Um, it's a great podcast. Folks should definitely check that out. Um, but Paul, thank you again so much. Um, please contact us <clears throat> if you have any thoughts and especially please leave us a review. Uh, it'd be a great way to help more people know about the show, get the word out, tell us what you think of the show, tell other people what you think about the show. That's how we can grow the audience. So thank you, Paul. Thank you to our audience. Uh, and everybody have a great day.